In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Uh, It's nice to see some familiar faces. If you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors of Village. I lead our congregation over in South Belfast. uh, So it's nice to... Uh, in a way, feels like coming home this morning to be among you all, um, back to the mothership, as it were, mothership, not sure that's right. Uh, yes, great to be here. You may have heard a clatter before John started singing. That was me spilling my coffee over myself. So if you see, don't, don't be distracted while I'm preaching, you see coffee stains on my trousers, right? I have a three-year-old, and at the minute, like, she's just potty trained, so it's always like, pack a bag, extra trousers, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to start doing that for myself. Uh, you don't think you need it when you're, like, you know, hitting 40, but there you are. Uh, it's good, good to be here. Um, one of the results of the, the coronavirus pandemic this last year that it feels that we're kind of coming out of now, doesn't it? Yes, restaurants open, shops are open, pubs are open, it's great. Um, but one of the results of that is that... that most parents have seen their kids more than, than we ever have uh, ever before, you know? Uh, even if you're a stay-at-home parent, um, I applaud you if you're a stay-at-home parent, but if you are, your kids are at home more, they're not going to school, they're not after schools clubs, all that kind of stuff, they're just at home more. And, and, and for me, that has drawn my attention to what feels like the amount of disciplining that parents do of their kids, right? It feels like my, the, the, the most common word in my house at the minute is no, no, no. 
no, no. Like you have a, imagine being told no every, everything you try to do. That's where my daughter is right now as a three-year-old. And discipline is hard. It's tricky. It's tricky as a parent to get right. Uh, it's tricky to, to do it well, to do it with the right heart. To, I mean, sometimes I discipline my kids when I'm just a bit tired and I'm like, just leave me alone or so, you know, like that attitude in my heart. Um, and it's hard for the kids as well. When you might remember being a kid, it's hard being told off, isn't it? It's hard being disciplined. It's hard being corrected. Um, but, but discipline is necessary. It's a necessary part of growth. If we, wanna, if we want our kids to grow up, if we want to grow up to, to be uh, responsible and have the right values, then discipline is necessary. Correction is necessary. And, and that's really what discipline is for. It's for correction. It's for training. It's for teaching. It trains us how to be safe. It teaches us how to be, behave. It teaches us uh, values like empathy and sympathy or, or owning up for your mistakes or responsibility or loyalty. I remember when I was about 10, I was playing football in our uh, backyard and, uh, you know, doing that thing that kids do. We just, for hours, it seemed like I could just kick a ball against the wall, you know, all day long and loved it. And my dad kept telling me, right, don't kick the ball against that, against that wall because it was, there was windows there. And he said, you're going to break a window. And then sure enough, one day, put the ball through mom and dad's bedroom window. Like of all the windows in the house, mom and dad's bedroom. And of course, they looked out in the yard, heard the crash. They weren't in bed at the time. It was like the afternoon or something. Uh, Looked out the living room window, and there was me just standing there with a smashed window. And they weren't best pleased, as you can imagine. Uh, Probably uh, not because I'd broken the window, but because I had been told, don't do this, and this is what happened, and I hadn't listened um, now, I remember them, even as a kid, I remember them being very kind in that moment. Um, they didn't re- really yell or shout or anything like that. But what they did do was make me uh, take some of the money out of my money box uh, and put it towards uh, the repair of the window. It was probably just a, a few quid. It wasn't like going to replace the window. But the point was, it was to teach me the value of, of, of owning up to your mistakes and doing your best to put things right when you've done something wrong, even if there's a cost involved. And that's a value I still remember and still hold, day to this, 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 still hold dear to this day. Like, if you make a mistake, admit it, say sorry, and then do your best to try and make recompense. And it's something I try and teach my kids. And through this passage in Hebrews 12, God is showing us, or the author of Hebrews, the preacher of Hebrews, is showing us the importance of God's discipline in our lives. And actually how when we view suffering and hardship as the discipline of a loving Father God, it can actually allow us and help us endure hardship and suffering. And, and this is really, uh, this is really the, the, the message of what he's saying today in this passage. God lovingly disciplines his children through hardship, so we should pr- pursue the holiness it produces in us. Let me say that again. God lovingly disciplines his children through hardship, and so we should pursue the holiness it produces in us. And there are three things that we, three ways we see this played out, who we see this built upon in this passage. And the first one is that, that we should receive the hardship in our lives as God's discipline. You see, the church in Hebrews, hopefully if you've, if you've been following along this series that we've been in since September, you'll know by now, if, if you haven't been or if you're new to this book, let me explain briefly. The, the church that the book of Hebrews was given to, that this sermon of Hebrews was given to, uh, were a church in the, the, the area of, of Rome, 
Um, they were facing all kinds of opposition, persecution, because they loved Jesus for their faith. Their homes were being raided. They were having a hard time in business. All kinds of things were happening to them. And this opposition was making them grow weary. They were tired. And in turn, it seems that their weariness was leading them to be tempted to, to just give up on Jesus, to quit the faith, you know? We all know how that feels, don't we? Man, maybe it would just be easier if I wasn't a Christian, if I didn't have to take the stand right now. But in the midst of their hardship, the preacher says, listen, I've got some encouragement for you. Consider your suffering as discipline. Consider the suffering you're going through as actually discipline. Now, maybe at first glance you think, well, that doesn't seem very encouragement because even if our suffering is discipline, how is that an encouragement to us? Well, let me show you. In verse 5, he quotes Proverbs 3. And he says, Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, right? Don't take God's discipline lightly. In other words, don't just think it's an accident. Don't disregard it. Think about it. Consider it. Even welcome it. Don't just assume that the hardship you're going through right now is some cosmic accident, right? That just stuff happens. This is how um, people from our part of the world uh, deal with hardship, isn't it? We kind of complain, we complain, but also we're very good at making light of bad situations, you know? Like a few years ago, I mean, I've, I've been around some pretty bad accidents and people just making fun of you. Um, when I, uh, this isn't one of them, but when I, I was in Austria a few years snowboarding with my wife and a couple of friends and I fell and broke my arm, compound fracture, had to have surgery in Austria. And uh, I'd like to say it was because I was doing some sweet trick or something, but it wasn't. I just uh, caught the edge of my board and fell over like a plunker and um, they made fun of me. I was in hospital in agony, and they made fun of me, like actually just slagging me off for two days. That's what we do, isn't it? Ah, look at you. You're, you had an accident. And that's what we do. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't find things to laugh about in the hard times of life. We should. But this same tendency, it can lead us to belittling the hardships in life, can't it? We just complain about it. We just say, ah, well, you know, look on the bright side or, you know, well, life is hard. But when we do this, we miss this vital point. We forget to ask, God, what is the reason behind this? What are you trying to teach me through this situation? You see, it's easy to see how God uses the good things in our lives as opportunities to enjoy him. But what about the bad things in life? What about when the hard things come? Suffering, disappointment, rejection. What about a chronic illness? Or the death of a loved one who, who was too young to die? Or even the smaller things, sleepless nights, a toothache, baby that won't stop crying, or, 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 or being stuck in a traffic jam that just ruined your day. Well, the answer, according to Hebrews 12, is that we should be encouraged to endure our hardship because these things are, are the are discipline of a loving God. And you might say, even the small things, come on. Well, yeah, even the small things. 
There is not one part of your life that is not orchestrated by God. And, and I think a common mistake that Christians make sometimes, and, and I, I made this mistake, I used to, even as a Christian, believe that, well, yes, God is in control, but um, he's not really in control of the minute details of our lives. Well, well, I want to tell you that I reject that belief now. I believe that God is in control of every single detail of our lives, every single detail of, of every sphere of reality. And if he weren't, if just one tiny part was missed, then he wouldn't be sovereign. That's what the sovereignty of God means. It means that he is in control of absolutely everything. And this means that we can know that every part of our lives, even the smallest detail, is under his control. And that should give us so much comfort. If we're going through hardship, we can be encouraged. Well, I, I, I don't know what's going on here, but I know that God is in control. I know that God is in control. And that viewpoint changes everything, doesn't it? Seeing our hardship as the discipline of a good God allows us to endure suffering, no matter what the cause is, whether it's, it's like these Christians, our brothers and sisters in Hebrews 12 who, who were facing opposition and persecution uh, by other people. I know some of you have had that. I, I know that some of you will have that when you go to work tomorrow. Or whether it's an illness or a bereavement or some other thing, we can endure the hardship because hardship is God training us and teaching us through his discipline, which is a good thing. Listen, if we think of our hardship as discipline from God, we can begin to see it as a positive thing and not something to run away for. Hardship in the hands of a loving father is discipline that trains us in righteousness and produces holiness in our lives. Hardship in the hands of a loving father is discipline that trains us in righteousness and produces holiness in our lives. And that moves us on to our second point this morning. I really want to see why God's discipline is good for us. So firstly, we want to receive hardship as God's uh, discipline. And then we want to see that God's discipline is good for us. There are two things in this passage that show us that God's discipline is good for us. Firstly, discipline is a sign that we're God's children. And secondly, uh, that discipline is designed to produce a transformation in us, namely uh, make, make us more like Jesus. Listen to verses 7 to 8 again. This is what he says. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Okay. So if you are enduring some hardship, you're being disciplined. And it's because of that that you should endure that hardship. God is treating you as sons. Explicitly saying this. Now, when he says sons here, in the Greek that he's writing in, there's actually, this is actually, the word actually means sons and daughters as a child of either sex. So women, you're not off the hook here. This still applies to you. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, Good parents discipline their children. And if you weren't being disciplined by God, it would mean that you aren't really his child. And so you know what this means? It means that when we go through hardship, we're being reminded that God loves us. The hardship in your life can serve you as a reminder that God loves you. That he's a good, good father. 
Now, this is absolutely the opposite way that we tend to think of hardship, isn't it? This is the opposite way to the way the world thinks of hardship. One of the prevailing, and we've seen this through the coronavirus pandemic, one of the prevailing philosophies of the West today is that hardship and suffering serve no purpose and should be rejected at all costs. That any ounce of hardship or any ounce of suffering can only be bad and we need to get rid of it as quickly as possible. That's one of the prevailing philosophies of the West today. We we see hardship as something to always be rejected. And this is how we, 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 so we tend to think as Christians then that if there is hardship in our lives, that it means that God has, you know, taken his eye off the ball, that he's forgotten about us. The question that we're most likely to ask when hardship comes is, where's God in all of this? Maybe you've had friends ask you that question. Maybe you've asked that yourself. I know I have. The other day, I was out for a cycle with my friend, and, and he was talking about something, a tragedy in, tragedy in his life, and he says, well, where, you know, where's your God in this? But according to Hebrews 12, God's discipline proves that he loves us. It says here, very clearly, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. In fact, verse 8 goes so far as to say that if he didn't discipline us, it would be a sign that we were illegitimate children. Children that weren't really under his care. Children that weren't really worthy of his fatherhood. Now listen, I just want to say, if you are going through hardship this morning, if you are suffering, and I don't know what that may be, one of the things you need to hear from this passage is that God hasn't forgotten about you. God, your Father, has not forgotten about you. If you are in Jesus, you are his beloved child. And so in the midst of your hardship, when you ask, where is God in all of this? You can look to the scriptures and be sure that he is where he has always been since the day you trusted in him right beside you, with you. He never leaves us. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the movie Hook. Anyone? Blank faces. No one's ever seen Hook. Come on. There we go. Yes. Yes. L- like it when people get my references. Um, sometimes they're quite obscure. Uh, but the movie Hook, right, you can all go and watch the movie Hook. Bank holiday tomorrow. Go and get it. It's a brilliant movie. Steven Spielberg at his finest. Robin Williams. Um, it's about Peter Pan, and Peter Pan has grown up. And, and uh, Peter Pan, is uh, in one scene, he has a flashback or, uh, to remembering how he actually got to Neverland in the first, first place. And, and it shows that he's in the pram, and his mom turns away and is talking to someone, and, and the pram rolls off down the hill. And then Tinkerbell comes in and takes him off to Neverland. And, and that's sometimes how we think that God is when hardship comes into our life. Don't we? We think that, that God has turned his back for a minute and our pram has just rolled off down the hill and he didn't notice it. Listen, God never turns his back, ever. He never looks the other way. You always have the attention of your father. Sometimes my kids come to me uh, uh, and I'll be doing something or I'll be reading or something and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Like they want to show me something. God is never like that. We always have the attention of our Father. And discipline, 
that comes through the hardship in our lives is not a sign that God has forgotten about us. In fact, it's the opposite. It's a sign that he loves us dearly. It's a sign that we are his children. It's a sign that he is at work in our lives for our good. Listen, if I didn't love my children, I wouldn't care how they behaved. I'd just let them run wild, wouldn't I? I've worked with kids who had grown up to be teenagers, and they grew up in uh, environments where there was no discipline or, or boundaries or, or correction, and their lives, by and large, did not turn out well. We know this to be true. You see, discipline is an act of love. An act of discipline is an act of love. And so if the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he uses hardship to discipline us, then we can welcome the hardship in our lives as a, as a sign of his love. Do you see how this completely changes how we see suffering? How it can help us endure hardship. Because suddenly the hardship in our lives goes from being a random cosmic accident to being the loving discipline of a perfectly good father. It changes our perspective from God hasn't turned his back and let the pram roll down the hill to knowing that actually, no, he hasn't turned his back, that he is in control, and more than that, he, he's in control for our good, and he loves us. And whatever it is in your life that you're finding difficult in his sovereign, loving control, he is letting you endure that for your good, and it's a sign that you're his kid, that you're his child, that he loves you, that, you're, that he is your father. Tim Chester has a book called Enjoying God. And in this book, it's a great book, and I recommend every Christian to read it. But in this book, he says this, seeing this world as a fathered world, isn't that a wonderful thought? Like a fathered world, that the world isn't just, you know, uh, flying through space, orbiting the sun, our solar system, in our galaxy, orbiting other galaxies and it's not all just random. This is a fathered world. God is in control. Seeing the world as a fathered world enables us to welcome every hardship as a sign of the Father's love. And that has the power to turn a bad day into a good day. A bad day becomes a day full of God's fatherly discipline. And God's fatherly discipline is a sign of fatherly love. A mature child is one that gets to the point where they realize that, you're, that, they, that they're being disciplined for their own good. Uh, Finley, my boy, he's six, and sometimes we're starting to see glimpses of that, that he understands that what we're saying is for his good. The other day, uh, we, our neighbor across the street, elderly woman, and, and uh, our kids know her well, and she loves our kids, and, and Finley went to run across the street the other day, and I grabbed him. And then I shouted at him. <laughs> I mean, I spoke very control, in a controlled manner to him. <laughs> uh, and I said, you can't run across the street, blah, blah, blah. And you, I could see that he could understand that. That's the sign of a child that is maturing, that can see that correction and discipline is for his good. Because if he ran out in the street, he'd get hit by a car. And this is our next point. Discipline produces holiness in us. 
Not only is discipline the sign that, a sign that we are uh, God's children, but discipline produces transformation in us, produces holiness in us. Listen to verses 9 and 10. He says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more um, be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Father of spirits, is, he's talking about God the Father there, and he sent God the Father to show the contrast between our earthly fathers, who are fathers of flesh and blood, not fathers of spirits. For they, the earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines for our good, that we may share in his holiness. He's drawn this uh, parallel, this comparison between earthly fathers and our heavenly Father. Now, I want to recognize that for some of you, the idea of um, an earthly father who disciplines is not a good memory at all. Um, I know that some of you will have painful memories of abuse and neglect, even in a small group like this, this size. Perhaps you have been abused or neglected um, that was carried out under the guise of being disciplined by a man who was supposed to love you and protect you and not harm you. And if that is you, then I'm really sorry that that happened to you. That's not how it's supposed to be. But what we want to do when we come to these comparisons between the earth and heaven in the Bible is that we want our theology to come from the top down, not the bottom up. From heaven down, not from earth up. So we allow the, the, the godly example to shape us rather than our earthly examples to shape God for us, Right? And so, no matter how good any earthly father is, they will, we will, always feel miserably compared to the goodness of God. You see, no matter your experience of your earthly father, God in his loving discipline never lashes out. He never loses control. He never disciplines out of spite or anger, or revenge, or weariness. He never raises a hand to you because he's had one too many to drink. He never disciplines us without our best intentions at heart. So if you have been hurt by your earthly dad, I am sorry, and can I just encourage you to, to find comfort in the arms of your loving and perfectly, perfectly good Heavenly Father. You see, the, the point of these verses is that Discipline under healthy circumstances, the way it's intended to be, has a purpose. And, and God's discipline is designed to produce a transformation. Like me with the broken window, right? The discipline there was, was my parents teaching me the value of, of owning your mistakes. At the minute, it feels like me and my wife Haley are constantly disciplining our two. Uh, and when we do it, not because we enjoy it, <laughs> we don't enjoy it. It'd be so much easier to just let them run off and do what they want, right? Just like lock the door and go outside and have a coffee. Let them like, you know, go purge for a minute in the house or something. That'd be the dream. But you can't. We persevere because we love them and we want them to be trained in a certain way. We want them to be formed in a certain way. 
And listen, we do this very imperfectly. Your parents did that very imperfectly. But God, our perfect father, this is what he does. This is the purpose behind his discipline. Verse 10 tells us that he disciplines us so that we may share in his holiness. That we might share in God's holiness. He disciplines us so that we can gain something eternally valuable so that we uh, would become more holy, so that we would share in the likeness of Christ, so that we would, would share in this gift of his holiness, becoming more like Christ. God uses the hardship in our lives, even persecution by others, to make us more like Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to pretend uh, that we enjoy the hardship, Verse 11 tells us this, that, that, that in the moment, discipline is hard, right? It seems painful rather than pleasant, it says. And so we can, we can call evil, evil. We can call bad, bad. You don't have to stick a happy face on it. If you're grieving, you can call it what it is. It's horrible. It's heartbreaking. It's soul-wrenching. It's so, so hard, if you're struggling with an illness, you can just call it what it is. It's a result of living in a broken, fallen world that's full of sin. And it's not nice. It sucks. My wife's been suffering with a condition for a, a, a year now, and, and that's hard. You don't go, oh, this is good. I'm, I'm happy about this. But listen... The point is, in the hands of a loving father, even the hardest of hardships are full of gracious purpose for his children. Can we believe that, please? In the hands of our loving father, even the hardest of hardship are full of gracious purpose for his children. In other words, in the hands of our loving Father God, all the painful things, all the horrible things, all the annoying things, all, all the, 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 the persecution, all the suffering, all those things are full of good purposes for us. Even if we can't understand it at the time. When Finley was a baby, when he was one or around that, I took him, you know, babies get their immunizations. And I remember holding him, holding him like this, you know, and he's facing me. And then there were two nurses, which is, I think, a bit unfair, and I'll explain why. And, and one of them said, right, just take, you know, take his wee nappy down. So I did that. And then they both came at him at once, like, <clears throat> stuck him one on each cheek. And uh, it's like, I mean, it wasn't like that. <laughs> That's how, they weren't, like, stabbing him. <laughs> I'm sure, if you're a nurse, uh, thank you for what you do. I had a rainbow in my window, and I clapped for the NHS. Don't worry. Um, that was just like, first, now I'm just like, work away, don't care. That's first time, Dad, you're a bit like, oh. Um, and of course, when he got it, then he starts screaming and crying. And he's like, look at his wee face, like looking up into my eyes. And um, he's just like, you know, you could see him thinking, like, I have no idea why this is happening to me. Why are you here? Why are you letting this happen to me? But I knew why I was letting him go through that. It was for his good. This momentary pain that lasts for a few seconds so you don't get sick down the line. It was for his good in the hands of a loving father, even the hardest of hardships that we can't understand are full of gracious purpose for his children. And listen, church, if we know that discipline is an act of our loving father and that it produces holiness in us, 
We should welcome it, not fight against it. We should submit to it. Not that we go out looking for hardship, but when it does come, we know it's not pleasant at the time, but we know that it produces in us, as verse 11 says, a harvest of righteousness. It makes us more like Jesus. So we can be thankful, can't we? In the middle, this is the thing that the world can't understand about Christians, that we can be joyful, that we can be thankful even when we're suffering. It's not pleasant at the time, but we know that God is in control, that he loves us, and that he is making us more like Jesus. And that is cause to be joyful and thankful. Now, before I move on, just our last point this morning, there's one question that I want to answer or address that all of this raises. And maybe you're, you've thought of this, and it's this question is like, well, is discipline in my life, is the hardship in my life because I've done something wrong? You know? Um, in other words, am I only facing this hardship because I've sinned? And the answer I want to put out there is no. It is sometimes for sure, but not always. In fact, probably not most of the time. 1 Corinthians 11 gives us a good example of this. The Christians there were, were coming to the communion meal, and, and basically what was happening is like all the rich people who didn't have to go to work, they were getting there early, and they were drinking all the wine so they were drunk, and they were eating all the food so that when the poor Christians came who had been at work all day, when they came to the communion meal, they, they, there was no food for them, and they had to go without and Paul says, listen, you're actually defiling the Lord's Supper. And because of your sin in this way, that's the reason some of you are sick. And actually, why those people who died, that's why they've died. And so clearly God does sometimes discipline us because of the sin in our lives. In the same way that I discipline my children when they do something wrong. But at other times... We haven't necessarily done anything wrong, and, and God still uses loving discipline to, to spur us on or to expand our way of thinking or to uh, correct us or, or even protect us from something that's coming down the line. We see this in John chapter 5, where there's a man who has been blind from birth, and Jesus' disciples say to him, they say, Rabbi, uh, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the work of God might be displayed in him. It wasn't in to do with his parents or in to do with, with, with the man himself where he was born blind, but so that the mighty works of God would be displayed in him. And so the point for us isn't to, to sit down and, and try to work out every possible reason why something might be happening to us. You might get some of them right. You might go, oh yeah, I can see how this is making me more like this. But you really think you can have the mind of God and, and know all the infinite outworkings of the suffering in your life? It's always a good idea to read the Bible and, and, and pray and ask God to reveal the sin in our lives. Don't wait until hardship comes along before you do that. Let that be part of your daily abiding with Jesus. But, but the point in your hardship is to remember that God's purposes in everything is for our good. That his goal for us is his holiness. That's what it tells us. God's goal, if you're a Christian, for you is his holiness. So suppose you're going through something difficult that you can't see the reason for. Just remember that God loves you. Maybe you can't identify a purpose, but that doesn't mean there isn't one. And in those moments, it's enough for you to trust the care of your good, loving Father. 
And this should give us so much hope. This should be such a great encouragement to us. Because it's one thing to know that God is with us in our suffering. And we know that and we trust that and we believe that. That's one of the great teachings of the book of Hebrews and the whole Bible. That God is with us in our suffering. But, but even more than that, we can know that our suffering has a purpose. There's a reason behind the hardship that you're facing. Even the persecution. So no matter how hard it may be, no matter how dark the night gets, we know that we are in the hands of our loving Father and that there is a reason for it all. And so whether you're in the middle of something long and ongoing, something tragic and, and great in your life, <coughs> I mean great in the terms of size, not good, but, or, or even if it's the small inconveniences, then we can just simply pray, Father, I know that you love me. I know that you haven't turned your back on me. I don't understand why I'm going through this. But please use this to make me more like Jesus. Church, if, 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 if we as Christians adopted that attitude and genuinely prayed that, well, how different would our lives look? How different would our church look? If we adopted the hardship in our lives and, and said, Lord, use this to make me more like Jesus. And that is the start of pursuing the holiness that discipline produces in us. And that's our final point this morning. Pursue the holiness produced by God's discipline. Verses 12 to 17 use this language of, of kind of pursue, pursuit and, 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 and so on. He says, lift your drooping hands, strengthen weak knees, make straight paths, strive for peace. See to it that no one falls from grace. I mean, this is very much like the language that we saw last week, which was run the race with endurance. There's, a, there's an effort to be made here. The results of God's discipline on our lives should be something that we strive for, something that we aim for, something we seek to take hold of. In other words, if God is disciplining us, if we are being trained through hardship, then we seek after the holiness that he's trying to produce in us. In verse 13, the preacher quote, uh, quotes from Proverbs 4, and he gives us this idea of, of making a, a straight path. It's actually a level path for our feet. Now, in the book of Proverbs, where he's quoting from, uh, the idea of making a level path for your feet, uh, that's a picture of, of choosing God's uh, holy way of living no matter what. So if I'm making a straight path for my feet, what I'm actually doing is choosing to live in God's way, choosing to walk in God's way. So in other words, what he's saying is that, that we endure hardship by, by choosing the Lord's way of holiness. You don't seek for a shortcut. We endure by choosing God's holiness. When the hardship comes, we don't sit down and complain. We don't give up on living in the way of Jesus just because things have got tough. In the hardship, we keep choosing to live in God's way for our lives. The other night, I was chatting to a friend, and, and she told me something I didn't know before, actually. And she said that when she was pregnant, um, uh, the doctors discovered uh, some issues with the baby. And her and her husband were in uh, multiple meetings with a consultant, and, and he was uh, multiple times suggested, hey, look, we don't know how this is going to turn out. There could be all these problems, so, so we recommend that you have an abortion. Multiple times I've said to them. And they explained, look, look, 
we're Christians and we believe that God is in control and so abortion is just not an option for us. Now I can't imagine what it would be like to go through a pregnancy with uncertainty, not knowing how things are going to turn out in the end. But even so, they decided to choose the Lord's way, right? Even in a hardship, in the middle of something scary and frightening and uncertain, they chose to make their path level. In the hardship, they said, God, you're in control, and so we're choosing your way. And the amazing thing is, guys, when, when we do this, we find that it leads to our healing and our strengthening. It leads us to endure. Endurance doesn't happen if we, if we take a different path. Endurance happens when we endure and, and when we follow God's way. And if we choose to leave God's way, we won't find healing. We won't find wholeness. We'll find that our condition will just get worse. He says, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now listen, these warnings are in here for a reason. And the the reason is that failure uh, to, to let hardship in our lives produce holiness has eternal consequences. If we don't let the discipline of God produce transformation in our hearts and in our lives, the results can be deadly. Here's some of the things he says. He says, it can lead to sexual immorality. It can cause disunity and division in the church. It can lead to bitterness that spreads. It can actually lead to you falling away from Jesus altogether. Church, it is vitally important. We must, we must let God use hardship to produce holiness in us. Why? Because without holiness, we will not see God. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Do you see how this works? Do you see how vital pursuing this holiness that comes from discipline is? Without it, we will not see God. No wonder God uses things like hardship and to produce holiness in our lives because without it, we can't be with God. And the author gives us the example of Esau as an example. Esau is the, if you don't know, in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, Esau is the eldest son of Isaac. So he's Abraham's grandson. And he's the, his younger brother, his younger twin brother is Jacob. Jacob was born just after Esau. And one day, Esau comes in from hunting and he's, he's like absolutely famished. He's knackered, or he's knackered and he's, he's about to faint. He's so hungry. And in his desperation for food, he sells his birthright to his younger brother in exchange for some food. So the deal was, brother, you give me some, you give me some of that stew you're making, and, and in exchange, I'm so desperate here, I will give you all my benefits that come with being the elder son. The blessing, the inheritance, the very covenant promises of God that have been passed down to me from our father and grandfather. You can have it all. I just want to satisfy my hunger. Esau is someone who treated the honor of being an heir of God lightly. He throws it away cheaply. He gives something away, he gives away something so valuable in exchange for a bowl of stew. He let the immediate cravings of the moment outweigh the far superior and more valuable lifelong gifts of being the chosen heir. 
He gives up the covenant promises of God for a momentary craving. Brothers and sisters, don't reject your honored position as a child of God for the momentary craving of avoiding suffering and discomfort. What do I mean? I mean, don't give up the eternal goodness of Jesus so you can have it a wee bit easier here and now. Don't give up everything that you have received in Jesus just so you'll have a slightly easier life. I mean, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've stayed quiet, in a situation where you should have spoken up about Jesus? Have you ever hidden your faith because you want to fit in? And maybe you've even denied that you're a Christian just to have an easier time of it. Well, there is forgiveness for you in Jesus. But can I encourage you, please, don't give up the eternal goodness of Jesus just to avoid momentary hardship. Keep your path level. Keep pursuing the way of God. Keep pursuing the holiness that God wants to produce in you. Let God use your difficulty for good. Let him use it to train you in holiness. Let God the Father use your suffering to make you more like Jesus. Jesus, who was disciplined. Jesus, who suffered well. Remember the first words in our passage this morning, verse 3. Consider him. Man, this has been the theme of this whole book, hasn't it? Jesus is better. Every, every turn, it seems like the author is pointing us back to Jesus. Consider him. Consider more closely. Pay attention, he keeps saying. Consider him. Jesus is God's son. He shares with God the Father the very essence, the very nature of God. And yet Jesus, the divine son, was disciplined too. Hebrews 5 verse 8 tells us that he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, this doesn't mean that he was sinful and had to be corrected. It means that he was equipped to be our mediator, to be our friend, to be our great high priest through the suffering that he endured. And so we should consider him. Consider him. We too are God's children. We are sons and daughters. We are adopted into God's family. And so our suffering is a sign that we are sons just like the son. Do you get it? And because we are sons and daughters like the son, we have a relationship with the father, one of, of, of love and devotion and care and intimacy. When Finley was crying in my arms after he got his wee injections, if you had taken that snapshot out of that context, you'd be forgiven for, for thinking, what, why on earth is he letting his child go through this? What kind of father does this to their son? A loving father does. A good father does. And if we see our hardship in this way, we can know our sonship. We can know our daughterhood. We can be sure of his love. And we can pursue that good transformation that he's working on us. And then here's what I want to finish with this morning. If, you, if you're a Christian this morning, the hardship that, that you endure in your life is not punishment for your sins. How do we know that? Well, we know that all the punishment for your sins was heaped on Jesus as he suffered for our sake on the cross. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're not a Christian, 
then don't let your suffering be wasted. Let the hardship in your life remind you that God is calling you to himself. Uh, Let your hardship remind you there's only one person whose suffering has ever made sense, and that's Jesus, because his suffering was designed to end all suffering. And so, without Jesus, your suffering and hardship doesn't make sense. And if you trust in Jesus, I can't tell you your hardship will end right now. It will end one day. I can tell you that, that in Jesus, your suffering becomes the loving discipline of a good father. And so if you've never trusted Jesus, why not trust him today? Why not let today be the day that you allow God to adopt you into his family? By trusting that the suffering of his son Jesus means that your suffering now has a good purpose. And that one day your suffering will be turned into glorious and perfect, never-ending joy and peace and contentment with no more suffering, no more tears, no more grieving, no more worry. Why not trust them today? Church, God lovingly disciplines his children through hardship. So can we today set our minds that we are going to pursue the holiness that he is seeking to produce in us? God is so good, isn't he? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to receive the good news that you are our Father and you love us. Help us believe that, Lord. Help us to to see that you never turn your back on us. Help us to believe that that you never let our pram roll down the hill out of control. Father, you are so good. Um, For any of my brothers and sisters here this morning who are suffering, who are going through hardship, who can't seem to find a reason for it, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would visit them now and, and apply that truth to their lives, that you are their good Father and you're disciplining them because you love them because you're, you're, you're showing them how much you love them, because you care for them, because you're trying to spare them from future uh, danger, because you're trying to produce holiness in their lives. Father, I pray that we would all have the attitude of just submitting to the hardship in our lives, asking the question, Lord, I know you love me. What are you trying to produce in our lives? Father, help us with this. We need your help, because this is really hard, Lord. And Father, for anyone in this room who hasn't yet trusted you, who's maybe asking, where is God in my suffering? Father, I pray that today you would open their eyes. Uh, Lord, I pray that the Lord Jesus would appear to them right now as irresistible. Irresistible. The one who suffered so that our suffering would make sense. Jesus, do this work among your people. We love you. We submit to you. We know you're good. We know you're our Father. And we pray these things that Jesus will be glorified. Amen.